highly consider the UAE as the place that you want to uh, register, establish the legal structure of your business. And that's a very practical piece of information because the UAE is by far the most economically and politically stable place in the region right now. And it will be for a long time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Startup Sweden's series on female entrepreneurship in the Middle East, North Africa, also known as MENA Market. We sit down with some inspiring women, changemakers disrupting industries to hear their stories on what it takes to make it in MENA. You will meet some of the hottest startups and their very ambitious founders. Our goal is to highlight MENA as a potential market in your expansion plans by providing you with insights on opportunities, culture and trends affecting the region. My name is Maral, I am the head of Nextdoor Nordic, the neighborhood app, and I'm your host for this series. Hey everyone, in this episode we meet uh, Elisa Freja. Elisa is the co-founder of Wimina and uh, she is known to be an entrepreneur, an investor, an activist, an advocate, an influencer, a feminist, even I've read an investorpreneur. So I think that uh, she is someone that is hard to fit in one box, uh, very passionate. And I had the privilege to see her on, on stage a few years back. She's also very, very authentic. With zero experience in finance, she launched Wimina, uh, the Middle East's largest uh, platform for women empowerment, which is a multidimensional media platform that accelerates equality through creative content and entrepreneurial experiences. She also has an exclusive online community of women boss ladies. That's a funny name. <laughs> and uh, Elisa is recipient of numerous awards, including 100 Power Business Women by Forbes and 100 Most Influential Arabs Under 40. The question is, who is uh, Elisa? And um, what, was, what was your aha moment that led you to where you are today? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so as I was just saying, actually, um, I was born and raised in Paris. So essentially, as an Arab American, grew up in Paris, very third culture kid and exploring a lot of different options for my life. I didn't have a one track mind as to what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. And it actually scared me a lot because when I finished university, I had done marketing, but it was just because I knew that whatever I was going to work in in my life I'd have to market it or I'd have to sell it and that was probably the best skill that I could develop within myself um, but at the time I was I was you know oil painting and body painting and doing baking at a at a, a bakery in Paris and I thought you know I love this baking thing I think I'm going to do more of it uh, my father had been in the UAE and I was thinking I want to be closer to him and maybe move to this country that had marketed itself so well as this land of opportunity, right? Where the impossible is possible and you can build the future and the opportunities that you want for yourself. And um, in, in it, as a direct contrast to the traditionalism of Europe and Western Europe, um, the, the, the heavy weight of, you know, bureaucracy. And at the time, France was really struggling with embracing this new world of innovation and startups whereas the uae of all places was just like come to us come to us with all your ideas come to us with anything that you want to build here this is the land where you can do it so um so i just knew i was going to come to the uae and i knew i was going to start a business what the business was i had no clue um one idea was i was going to open a restaurant 
And I had a friend here who was a chef. So uh, that was pretty much in the books. And in the summer before coming here, um, I was with another friend of mine from university and we had come up with, we had both graduated and we were coming up with lots of different types of business ideas that we thought could work in the UAE together. And for some reason, you know, um, I have this intuitive butterfly thing that comes whenever I, I know there's a good opportunity and there's a good idea in front of me and I have to follow that intuition. And so, um, we came up one of 30 ideas was uh, an angel investment network. So the idea of educating people to invest small amounts of money in early stage startups to kind of help entrepreneurs with finances, but also with guidance and mentorship and experience and, and connections. And I really bought into that idea. Um, so I convinced that friend to move here and start that with me. Now, what's quite interesting is that that sounded great. And from a PR standpoint, we got a lot of great, uh, support and feedback. The story was very strong about two young women coming and changing the industry and so on. Um, this very male dominated old industry. So the story was so good, but the business model was terrible and the business model was so bad. <laughs> and the, uh, and the, the economy wasn't where we thought it was in terms of readiness for venture capital style investment. Um, even the numbers from a lot of very prestigious studies indicated that, you know, our, our business could work there at that time. The reality was very far from that. So just, just to give it, just to give it like a timeline, which, which year are we talking about? This is 2013. 2013. Okay. And from 2013 to 2017, I tried to make that business work. Um, and that business was called Wumina, but it was an investment business and and I had zero financial background but you know we were hiring some of the best like analysts that we could to help us you know gain like the best knowledge and insights to find the best startups um and we were helping women who were very often not comfortable investing or not involved in the world of investing to invest um but from 2013 to 2017 that was the business and eventually you know we called it quits so my my co-founders and I split up uh, the business model just wasn't functioning. We continued to honor all our contracts with our investors, but we weren't taking on any new deals. And I had to completely redesign and reimagine what Wamina could be. And in those years, the one thing that stuck out to me most was the community that we'd built and the importance of that community. So how, how, how few really networks of support women in the region had and how few stories like ours there were in the media. So the reason that we got so much press and PR in the early days was because like there were no stories like ours. And there were so few role models that were being highlighted by the media. Even if they were there, they just weren't being identified and they weren't seen as valuable and they didn't fit the traditional narrative of this Middle Eastern women that the Western world had kind of imposed on, on our region. And, you know, after taking a couple months to, to re-strategize, I realized, well, if that's my goal, my goal is actually to build this network of support and help shift the perspectives. I was going about it in such a roundabout way, and I could just do it directly. I could literally just tell the stories of the women that I saw around me every single day to a, a global audience and tell those stories um, in such a matter-of-fact and honest, authentic voice that people will then see the realities around us. They will see that, oh, well, women in the Middle East don't look like what we thought they looked like or are capable of much more than what we 
expected them to be capable of. And in 2018, we launched, we kind of redesigned Wamina and we relaunched it as a media company and uh, a media company with, uh, you know, a focus on video content um, and written articles, just storytelling truth. So it's all nonfiction content. We, we don't work in fiction because we don't need to. The stories are so amazing already. And from 2018 until now, that's literally what we've been building is this media company and this and expanding the network, as you said, of boss ladies, which is a, a fun, a, a, not just a fun word, but is, is the concept of these independent minded women who pursue their life with purpose. And they're really the closest community to Wamina that we have. Um, so we have the so so Wamina is now a media company. We have our our closest network of support, which is our boss ladies. Um, and for the last three years, we also ran an accelerator um, throughout part of the year, just as a almost as a CSR initiative to kind of give back to the women entrepreneurs, uh, like younger versions of myself, to to give them the information that I wished I had had at that time. And that's a great story. And I want to like you said a lot of things that I wanted. I want to ask already, but let's dive into them one by one. Sure. So first of all, like, let's talk about, there's always like, when we talk about the MENA and the region, there's this always, there's this like misinformation about women and their roles and how they are perceived. Mm -hmm. And then like, uh, sometimes the media uh, portrays it in a way that like uh, women are not doing like, let's say things that are European or the Western world does. But then when we when we look at uh, people like you, people like uh, Maya Matad, uh, Joy Aljuni, Lulu Hazen, and then all these like great female leaders. So uh, like, what would you say to the Western world, like the European um, venture capitalists or the European entrepreneurs who, what do she, what should they think when they're coming to MENA themselves? Like, what should they think about the area? I, you know, it shouldn't even be about what they need to think about towards us. Uh, my biggest, you know, um, comment is usually to have them already assess what are their preconceptions. Because the West has a, a, a subconscious bias towards the Middle East and particularly towards women in the Middle East. It exists within them. And this subconscious bias informs a lot of the decisions that they make in the West before they even come here. So that's why you see that female founders in Silicon Valley get funded much less than male founders. That's why women of color, female, like women of color founders at, at even lower rate um, and, and even lower rate than they do in, in the Middle East. The subconscious bias already exists quite heavily in the West. And I think the question is more for them to look at themselves and, you know, if it helps them to write down all of their preconceived notions of what the Middle East is and what women are so that they can be aware that they're coming to the table and they're coming to this region with some idea that has been given to them by people that are not us. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the reality is we're we are like anyone else. Uh, you know, we're as diverse as any other place in the world. And a woman in France uh, who is Arab can look this way and she can also exist looking this way in the UAE. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that I have to be a different version of myself wherever I am. Um, the 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 perceptions that you have have been formed by people with an agenda on your side of the world and and to try to just rid your mind of those or at least be aware of them when you come over to this part of the world 
and look at the people in front of you with as much, you know, neutrality and openness as is possible. Yeah, maybe we should get a reality check before we try to stereotype everyone else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you, you are also investing in uh, women. Like, I want, like, let's say, probably there's like both men and women listen to these uh, uh, podcasts and these interviews that we are trying uh, to do about the MENA region and uh, spread more awareness about how great the region is for uh, entrepreneurial uh, adventures. Uh, why do you only invest in women? And uh, why do you do like, why, what makes women entrepreneurs different than yeah, anyone else, I guess? Uh, you mean me personally investing, right? Yes, so, yeah, yeah. You are personally investing as well, right? Yeah. So um, again, Wamina hasn't invested since 2017. We don't make uh, investments as a company. So it's just, it's me. But even when we were investing, Wamina used to invest in both male and female-led startups. Um, okay. The idea of a gender lens actually came more from an investor perspective. So we were trying to get more women to invest. Um, and by having more women invest, what we saw was we ended up with a 50-50 portfolio of female-led companies and male-led companies, which was a very interesting statistic for us. And then what I learned from my own experience when I started just investing and Wamina had stopped that direction and I was just investing for my own portfolio and my own kind of diversified goals, um, was that my female entrepreneurs were much more transparent. They were much more uh well, open and and strategic about who they allowed in the company. Um, and they were much more driven. And they were also much more judged by the rest of the ecosystem. And so by having, uh, you know, an investor like me on the table, I would then be able to help open up the exposure of those, of those startups to other uh, investors in the region who otherwise may not have, like, fully considered that startup as a as an investment but they know that Wamina and myself do very heavy due diligence um i think to me it was really about a personal uh it's a personal drive to yeah. to want to invest in female entrepreneurs the more i've been in this ecosystem the more i really do see the disparity and i do see the judgment um even if you know we have better stats than the West in terms of number of female companies invested in, it's still not enough. And I think to me, I I would much rather invest uh, with my mind, but also with my heart. And it's a it's a risky asset class. So I want to make sure that I'm investing in a company that I'm I'm proud to have been to have invested in, regardless of which direction it goes in the market. You know, yeah. I'm I'm proud of all the companies in my portfolio, especially the ones that I've invested in in the last three to four years. Once Wamina stopped doing any sort of investment work, and what type of trends uh, do you see? Like uh, when you you said you have invested, what type of trends do you see that like uh, in the in the area in the region in in Mena? What are people uh, what type of startups, like what type of verticals? Um, I, it, again, it depends. I mean, for me now, I get a lot of media focused companies. Um, and that's usually a lot of e-commerce or media just because of my background. So I get pitched a lot of these types of businesses personally. Um, but there's a big trend on, uh, for esports right now, okay. which is very exciting. Um, it's obviously a very male dominated trend and, uh, it's, it's, a lot of most people in the audiences, most of the players in esports are men. Uh, most of 
the investors are men and they kind of get that world. So it's not a world that I'm particularly interested in, but I know that that's a huge trend in the region. And I think anything that's allowed for kind of digital content consumption um, or, or digital procurement in the region right now or in logistics makes a lot of sense. So healthcare logistics is a, is a company that I've just invested in. Uh, it's called Shifa in the last year. And that was before COVID. I made kind of the commitment in the October before this happened. And, and it was the right time for this business to be around because chronic, it, it specifically targets and focuses on chronic health patients in Egypt and places that are very difficult to, to reach and who don't have access to their medication um, or who can't access this, you know, the certain medication that they need within a monopoly of pharmacies that exist throughout the country and traffic and just in general, like access is very difficult. Um, and this company provides this kind of like on-demand service, predictable to your door for chronic health patients. And uh, all, in the pandemic, all of these problems were kind of made more clear and made more difficult. So, um, so I'm really, you know, I'm really happy to have supported a company like that, that in a time of crisis was able to actually service a much larger percentage of the population and especially be able to now convert payments into like online and, and uh, electronic payments when in a place like Egypt, cash was king and mobile payments and, and credit card, you know, um, penetration was still very low. So they've been part of this kind of revolution of digital on-demand healthcare uh, services and prescriptions to your door um, at a time when the region really, really needs it. And, and that for me was the biggest trend. I think that's really interesting because I, 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 I've seen also how it was in uh, Egypt uh, back when I visited, like it's, it's only paid cash and nothing else. And uh, it's great to hear that all this, like, I think the pan pandemic ha had some positive impact on uh, a lot of places mm -hmm. we should, uh, it's, I, I like that you highlight those. Do you think that you're based in UAE, right? Uh, I personally am based in the UAE, yes. My team is totally uh, remote you work like across the entire region and is that like uh, an easy let's say if someone from europe wants to uh, come and uh, ha settle somewhere but have access to the entire region w would that be possible are there challenges difficulties to invest or to expand into the different markets yes it is. Yes, it's incredibly difficult if somebody wants to come and, and try to expand throughout the entire region, regardless of of for what purpose. Um, it's not difficult for Wamina right now because from the from its inception, Wamina has always had a part of the team that's been remote throughout the region. So from the beginning, I had a team that was you know, around the Middle East. I had stories that were being told from around the Middle East and we were just we're used to it. It's a bit sad because I'd like to see my team members in the same city more frequently, but now everyone's working from home. Um, and, and, you know, I miss having the office space, but my team doesn't miss having the office space. So it's actually quite, it's, it, it's quite easy for us to, it's quite easy for us to manage. And, and I see the productivity going up. Um, and the fact that we can now hire people from places like Lebanon, where before we were told that, you know, it's too complicated. But I'm so happy to be hiring people from Lebanon because I am I know how difficult the economic downturn has been there. And I want to help, you know, diversify my team also. So for us, particularly, we're kind of designed from the start to be very flexible. 
But for anybody coming here, um, the fragmentation of the Middle East market is something that you really need to understand and to study. Um, and there are beautiful things in regards to that, which means that every country can shine for a different reason. So, you know, uh, let's say tech development uh, out of Jordan or um, sales and business development out of the UAE or creative talent out of Lebanon um, or say like really like your market, your largest market size would be in Egypt. So you have a lot of different countries providing different specialities that you can work with. Um, and that means that your pool of talent in each one of those, you know, is much larger. But bureaucracy is completely different. The rules and regulations are completely different. The mentality is completely different. So some, you know, uh, product that might work very, very well in Egypt might not work very well in Saudi Arabia, or you would have to completely shift the way that you communicate that product in different markets each time. Maybe you need a completely different um, brand name or a completely different identity just because it's not going to work. Um, so there are very few com companies that have successfully gone across the region. Uh, Karim being one of them, Talabat being another one. Um, but they've had to adapt at each step of the way. So if you are looking to invest in a country, in, in a region, this is a great region to do it, but you have to be very specific as to like which country you're investing in, what are the rules and regulations of that country, and do they help or do they hinder the entrepreneur's growth and expansion across the region also? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is similar to Europe, right? You can't take uh, one size fits all. You have to localize and respect the local culture and, and so on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of interesting things you said earlier about like uh, the the strength of an online a community, not just an online community, but the community. And now we are referring to communities like the, these networks, online communities, let's say. And uh, and you have like specifically on uh, an online community, both ladies. Uh, so how can the the founders that we have in our programs, like the female uh, founders that we have or anywhere in Europe or the West world could be part of your uh, network. Yeah. How can they join? Um, so, I mean, it's as easy as going to our website. So on wimina.com slash network, or, and you'll get to our <laughs> boss ladies. It's that simple. Um, and then there's an application form for them to apply. So it's simple to find and it's simple to apply. Um, it's not so simple to be accepted. Again, the the media that we create is for our community. Um, and what we realized when we started creating this content was that at first, to me, it may have been changing other people's perceptions of us, but what it became was actually changing our perceptions of ourselves and the importance of talking directly to our Wamina community and our audience about what other women in the region or from the region are doing to change their perceptions of what they could be doing with their lives, right? So amplifying these voices to highlight these choices um, that they can make for their own futures. And uh, we have we consider the Wimina community the audience, which is anybody that follows us on social media, on Wimina on Instagram, or Wimina on Facebook, um, or on our YouTube channel. And then the smaller community is the boss ladies community where there's actually a vetted application process you have to go to. And, and that, that depends. So if the, if there's enough people that apply from a certain geography, we might open it up to a chapter that might be uh, available in Sweden or in France or in Nigeria. Um, but predominantly they're all middle East, from the middle East or in the middle East, they are investors, creatives, 
wellness leaders, entrepreneurs. So it's a very diverse community of women, but all of them are kind of independent, purpose-driven, and kind of willing to help and be very transparent with each other. Um, they know that they're here to help guide Wamina as to how best we can create content for them, how best we can serve them with the content and the stories that we tell. They give us stories of the women that have inspired them that we can highlight. We then offer them certain, certain. I mean, it's just a direct communication with us, right? So it's a much closer circle. We'll have monthly or quarterly calls with our boss ladies to kind of hear what they've been liking from our content lately and what they want to see from us in the future. Are there certain companies that they want to work with? Or maybe there's companies that come to us that want access to that community and to that network. Um, and for example, alumni from other accelerators, if they want to create a unique private circle, you can create a little circle. So you can be part of the wider Boss Ladies community, but have a private you know, startup suite and circle in our community that's just for the graduates of your accelerator program to continue to connect over the years and help each other. Um, so it's it's a really multifaceted um, platform that we're we're really proud to, to to have kind of behind us as we as we create all the content that we that we do i think it's it feels like when i hear you talk it feels like also it's somehow like a uh, board of directors ver meet uh, advisory board for everything else that you're doing with Wimina. like you go plug into them and try to get uh, the best so that you also do keep on learn from uh, all these perspectives. I, yeah. I think it's a great network, definitely. Thank you. Elisa, two more questions. Uh, what will Wemina, uh, Wemina look like 10 years from now? If I tell you, I think I'll scare a lot of the people listening away because the... <laughs> good, scaring the, is good. For, the vision that we have for Wemina is something that's... Um, it's really grand, and I and I I'm even shocked that I dare to dream so big. But uh, as the years have gone on, and as we've really honed in and and focused on our purpose, we've seen the ripple effects of of the work that we do become much broader and broader, and it allows us to really realize that we can kind of achieve anything that we set our minds to. So for us even with our accelerator and even with um, you know, the investment work that we did in the early, early days, what we saw was the biggest impact that we can achieve has come from our storytelling and our content. The storytelling and the content have a multiplying effect of change that is measurable and is unparalleled. And Wamina has just started to really measure the impact of the storytelling that we do now in a tangible way. Um, to really, you know, quantify it, but really like find the qualify the 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 value of the content that we make. When we talk about, we create content that inspires change. It's not just like a little hope that, like, yeah, inshallah, somebody is going to see this and like feel better. It's no, no, no. We actually can measure the real tangible change of what we do. And I think in ten years, you will see, you know, in ten years from now, it'll be seventeen years since we started this, and there's a whole generation of young women that grew up with a, with Wamina in their world, and and a platform like Wamina that gave them role models that, you know, our generations never never had access to. And I hope that you know, ten years down the line, what you're going to see is you're going to see Wamina, but Wamina not just in uh, online and in shorter type of content, but we'll be able to do much longer storytelling, documentaries, books, um, articles. Uh, we might even have, you know, um, 
opportunities for 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 women who are creating crafts or clothing or fashion or be able to help amplify whatever other dreams the women in our community have we want to help them get there and that's that's really it like i want wamina to be like the women's platform you know for amplifying um their voices and and driving change forward not just in the middle east but globally yeah and that's a very big and ambitious and i'm i have no doubt that you will make it i hope so and i just can't when you talk about 10 years down the line because entrepreneurs don't dare to dream 10 years down the line it's like we barely talk about two three years is like a bit ambitious you know and wishy-washy but 10 years down the line there's a whole like generation of young girls that are growing up with girl boss t-shirts and wonder woman movies and things that you know really tell them that they can and and yes. to see that generation grow up and be a part of the world that we're hoping that we're creating um that's going to be the most exciting exciting part of it um so i think uh, even if wamina itself Uh, as a company might not look like whatever i'm picturing the wamina ripple effect and the wamina wamina impact is going to be so so massive and so large in the region and i can't wait to to see that realized i have i have a lot of goosebumps so uh, when you said those things and that's true uh, the future definitely looks much brighter uh, it's getting brighter every day um uh, elisa maybe just one last question because you have so, you say so many nice things uh, is uh, what 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 is your uh, like if you were to give one advice for the listeners who are thinking about expanding their businesses in uh, the mena region uh, what would you tell them do it <laughs> uh, i would say i would say do it study the market you want to enter very well so make sure you're actually entering the right country for your product or service um and it might not be as as obvious of a choice as you think it is um but i would also say to highly consider the uae i mean from like a practical standpoint highly consider the uae as the place that you want to uh register establish the legal structure of your business and that's a very practical piece of information because the UAE is by far the most economically and politically stable place in, in the region right now and it will be for a long time and it's got this long-term vision that a lot of places in the region are, are really looking towards for guidance so this is your safe your safe bet and probably the one place that's going to kind of cocoon you um as you as you settle down and and get established um to start your business maybe in this country or expand into into another one also budget like 50% to 70% more than you initially thought you would need to start here <laughs> that's a good advice <laughs> <laughs> okay so thank Yeah, I understand. Uh, thank you so much. It has been really nice uh, talking to you and I look forward to following your journey and all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I'm so happy that yeah, we were able to have this conversation. Next in the series is May Madhat. May is the CEO and co-founder of Eventus. We chat about the user behavior and growth 